Hey everyone, Armand here. So a couple days ago, I released a compilation of the best content on Helium Improvement Proposal 70. Well today, I'm back with something even better. I finally got Amir and Anatoly in the same space, and they had an amazing conversation, which I honestly think is the best overview and deep dive of HIP70 yet. And this time I was there for the whole thing to moderate the panel and deliver the community's burning questions from the last two days. We were also joined by Austin from the Solana Foundation and Joey from the Helium Foundation. So it really was an all-star panel. This is the most honest and compelling talk about HIP70 that you'll find because it goes deep into the root causes of why the Nova team thinks that this proposal needs to happen. And if you listen to the previous episode, you may find that parts of this episode are repetitive, but there are also a bunch of new angles that weren't touched on before and some real-time updates to the hip. I think this discussion is worth listening to in its entirety regardless. Personally, I feel that I learn better when hearing a similar concept explained multiple times in slightly different ways. I really find that it helps me cement important concepts in my mind, especially with something as detailed as HIP70. As always, it's edited for brevity without losing important context, and by popular demand, we have timestamps so you can easily find the topics that interest you most. And now, let's jump right into the conversation. I hope you enjoy. So it's been a pretty eventful week in the Helium community and the Solana community. I will say lots going on, especially regarding HIP70. I think there's been a whole lot of discussion. I mean, we've had a town hall, we've had a Twitter space, we've had tons of discussion in the HIP70 channel on the Helium Discord. And I'm seeing a few things come up over and over again. And I think some of the things that are coming up are just repetitions of the same concerns that many people have had initially. So maybe they haven't heard that previous content. If they haven't listened to the recordings of the town hall or the Twitter space, they maybe haven't read the foundation blogs. I think that we still have some work to do getting the message out there on some of the most basic topics about this hip. Why move to Solana? Why not other chain X? And also what happens to HNT? What happens to the tokens? How decentralized is this? We had a forum where people submitted questions and a lot of the questions, I'd say maybe 80 plus percent of them were essentially repetitions of these questions. My personal interpretation of that is that people are still concerned about these things. And so hopefully people who are on this space today are here to learn, to understand and to sort of absorb any information that they weren't getting elsewhere. I also think that there are a few directions that are like new directions for discussion that have arisen over the past few days. I think the main one is what happens to the existing validators in relation to their stake. There's a lot of discussion about should we have a two-week cooldown period where validators who have previously agreed to stake for five months can go down to two weeks? Should we instead take them all the way over to the Solana side and keep their HNT locked? So there's a lot of nuance there. So I think that's a really healthy discussion because this is a real problem we need to solve. And I think also people are concerned about the user experience of switching chains and what exactly happens to their wallet and what happens to people, for example, who have staked HNT in a staking pool. So there's a lot to cover, but I want to really spend some time on the most important topics, I think, to the community. I think that the first and foremost one is what is it about Solana that is specifically enticing? And I think there's been a lot of great thinking and sort of new content by Amir and also by Abai, who are, who are both here. So I think they could probably help expand on that topic as now they've like really written some stuff down, which is something the community has been requesting. But for anyone who's not familiar with what's going on here as a whole, let me just give a brief introduction. So HIP70 is a new Helium improvement proposal that proposes to scale the Helium network by essentially doing two things. 
First, it takes a lot of the things that are done on Helium's unique layer one blockchain today, like proof of coverage, accounting for data transfer, and a few other things, and moves them to off-chain oracles. So that's like the first major change. And the second change is that we move the token side of things from Helium's native layer one to Solana. So those are the two, at a high level, major things that are being proposed in this Helium improvement proposal. It has not gone to a vote yet, but there will be a vote in five days on September 12th, where HNT holders can vote on this website we have called Helium Vote. So I just want to give a little bit of a taste of what the benefits of this HIP are. And I think Frank Mong, who's the COO of Nova Labs, really hit the nail on the head in his blog. So I'm just going to read a short excerpt from what he wrote, because I think this is key to the whole thing. So why should I be excited about HIP70? Key benefits. One, more rewards for hotspot owners. So with this proposal, 2 million HNT return to the rewards pool annually, benefiting hotspot owners across IoT and 5G networks. Two, more chances to mine. Proof of coverage becomes more consistent. So instead of beaconing and witnessing every few hours or days, it will happen consistently every hour. And three, better network, data transfers for devices is faster, more reliable, and more scalable. And I would add four, better blockchain, you're going to have a much easier time sending payments, asserting your hotspots, these things that currently take minutes to process on the current chain and, and cost 35 cents up to whatever amount. I think a uh, multi-payment can cost like maybe a dollar or something. That will be fractions of a penny and happen almost instantly. That's my high-level summary. I would love to get a discussion going about what the thought process was, because I think this is something that the community really cares about. Yeah, I can get in here and maybe just to kind of back up a little bit. It's probably important to think about what Helium is trying to do, like the path that we've been on and some of the things that we've seen and the issues that we faced over the years. Helium is really about building global decentralized wireless networks. That's the mission objective for Helium. We started in 2019, very focused on an IoT network using the LoRaWAN protocol. So that's designed for low power things, sensors, tracking devices, things like that, where cellular networks are insufficient, right? So when you need something that's really cheap and really battery efficient, you can't really do that on a cell network. It's not just about coverage. It's about the technology that's being used. Cell networks are just not designed for stuff that goes to sleep for long periods of time or that's really battery efficient. So when we started building Helium, this was back in 2017, we actually interviewed Anatoly for a job at the time before Solana existed, which I think was called Loom back then, if I remember. We didn't really have that many options in terms of how we were going to go do this, right? So the only time, the only smart contract chain that was really functioning was Ethereum. And we already knew back then that using Ethereum was going to be extremely expensive. So if you think about what the Helium network does, you have hotspots that create network coverage and they participate in a sort of challenge response protocol called proof of coverage. And then you have data transfer um, that uses the hotspots that comes from sensors, right? So if you have a tracking device or something like that, it's communicating with the internet through a hotspot. And that can be a reasonably large amount of traffic. Like I think in August, for example, like 100 million packets got moved, which is a lot for IoT devices. So we had to build a lot of systems to support all this stuff. We started at the very bottom, like we built our own peer-to-peer -peer protocol based on, on libp2p, which was used in Filecoin as well. We had to build an entire blockchain, an entire consensus protocol. We had to build all the hotspot firmware. We had to build all the apps, explorers. Like there's so many pieces that 
because there was nothing else available other than Ethereum, we had to build ourselves. And so since 2019, it's been like an extraordinary growth curve on the hotspot side. Like we started 2019 with 150 hotspots in Austin, and now we have almost a million. So in, in three years, we've gone from basically zero to the largest wireless network in the world. And I think it's important for everyone to think about that in context for a second, because that is not a normal or predictable kind of growth curve. And we have been, I think, doing a admirable but difficult job in trying to maintain all of the things that we do at once. And we spend a substantial amount of our engineering time and our sort of thinking on the blockchain part itself, dealing with the sort of issues that arise from scaling so quickly. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, time that we could otherwise be spending on things that are really specific to what Helium is all about, which is how do we incentivize and motivate the economic system around building wireless networks? And how do we ensure that data transfer is super stable and super reliable and usable by customers that want to take advantage of this giant network? So as things have progressed and as the network has grown, both of those things have gotten harder, which I think anyone that's been involved in the community has seen. Proof of coverage has become more and more inconsistent, I think, as the network has scaled, which is not a huge surprise as the network approaches like a million hotspots. And the thing that people maybe don't get to see quite as much because there, there are more hotspot operators in these kind of communities than there are users of the network is that the data transfer side is also suffering from similar kinds of issues, right? Like as this has scaled, the systems that we built to meter and bill for millions of packets a day, they're also under load, right? Because everything is like tightly bundled and wound into the sort of blockchain implementation that we have. Any changes that we want to make take a really long time. Anything that we release is like fraught with risk. We have this massive and amazing validator community who have been super responsive and amazing at continually updating the network. But every time we release an update, there's a huge risk to the network because everything could break the consensus protocol, could cause blocks to stop, could cause problems. And you're also dealing with a massive sort of DevOps problem because you've got a million hotspots and they require firmware updates sometimes. And so we're stretched very thin. We're focusing a lot of energy today on things that arguably are commoditized or that other people do better, particularly on transaction processing, block creation, stuff like that. I think it's important for us and everyone in the space to be constantly like reassessing what the playing field looks like. Just because we started this way in 2017, 2018, doesn't mean we have to stay this way. And me personally, I'm like beyond excited about being able to focus on for example, making proof of coverage better, making it more secure, like reducing things like cheating and spoofing, making it much more consistent, right? Like it, the fact that no one knows when they're going to beacon or when they're going to witness, like that's frustrating both for the users, certainly frustrating for me. So that should be on a sort of consistent cycle. Like we hope to get that into like an hourly cycle, for example. So it's very predictable. And then I want data transfer to be super reliable, right? Like we've had situations where large customers have wanted to use the network or started using the network, but struggled because it wasn't perfect. Like 98% is not good enough in a lot of these cases. And so these are the things that we are trying to fix. The proposal in HIP70 basically proposes to break apart the system. So it's not one gigantic monolithic beast that is very hard to debug and very hard to upgrade and break it into these smaller pieces. These oracles, as, as we call them, or the, think of them as servers in a way that sit separate from the blockchain, process these proof of coverage and data transactions, and then tell the blockchain, 
hey, these seven hotspots participated in proof of coverage, you need to reward them 3HNT or whatever the number is. That's the function of oracles. HIP70 itself goes into detail about what that architecture looks like. And then the last part is moving the function of running a blockchain or a layer one or an L1 elsewhere. So instead of us maintaining it, instead of us worrying about the stuff that we worry about, like snapshot agreements and RocksDB memory issues and stuff that's super low level, we no longer think it's worth doing that. There's no benefit in this architecture to us running an L1. In fact, it's a negative because we have to continue to maintain this architecture and we get none of the upside that you get being attached to a larger community with a better developer ecosystem and all the stuff that, that comes with it. So at a high level, that's what we're doing. I'll stop there for a second because that's a big overarching summary. But that's the intention behind what we're trying to do here is to basically improve the state of the network at every level. And changing the blockchain is a way for us to be able to focus our resources on those changes rather than on block production and transaction processing. Yeah, Amir, I just want to highlight something you said. First of all, thank you for taking us back. I think that was a great place to start things. I think a certain fraction of the community has maybe become a little skeptical of updates in the Helium ecosystem because they see that things take a really long time or maybe, you know, this light hotspot update took forever and now my hotspot appears to work the same from my view as before. You and I did a podcast interview in April 2021, this is a year and a half ago, talking about the validators and light hotspots update. And between then and now, the network, as you said, has exploded to almost a million hotspots. So maybe back then you guys were trying to skate to where the puck was going, but then the game just changed completely since then. And it seems to me like that architecture, although the light hotspots help us get to the HIP70 architecture, the validators were almost like, that's one order of magnitude behind us now. We need to scale even beyond that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. When we launched Helium, we had this very ambitious architecture where every single hotspot was running the blockchain. There were no validators. And I think that was very like interesting and novel. It was an attempt to make the network as decentralized as possible. And that it worked as long as it worked is miraculous, but it quickly got to a point where the the amount of computation required to validate proof-of-coverage receipts in particular was too much. And what that means is when a hotspot says, hey, I witnessed this beacon, some someone has to verify whether that was valid or not. Is it possible for these hotspots to have been in range? Are all the signatures from the various receipts correct? And all the stuff that goes on there, there are millions of potential iterations for every receipt that every validation has to run through to make sure that the receipt is valid. And so as proof of coverage was scaling with the number of hotspots, that validation and computation work just became too much for the hotspots to handle. So we kept band-aiding it and patching it and trying to make that work. Whether that was a mistake to start with that architecture or not, I don't know. I'm glad that we tried it, but in, in hindsight, not scalable enough and difficult to find enough engineering time to make it work. So we switched to this validator model. I think if we hadn't done that, the network would have been dead a long time ago, would have been impossible to to get to even this size. I think we were really starting to struggle around 100,000 hotspots. So I wouldn't say that validators have been a bad thing. Like They were absolutely necessary in order to get to this point. And I think we'd probably do the job just fine in, in the new architecture as well, because the sort of amount of proof of coverage transactions specifically is greatly reduced. But in general, like if you step back and think about well, what is it, if you have proof of coverage and data transfer like off-chain effectively, what is it that we're really paying for as a community to run these validators? And it really just becomes about 
moving tokens from A to B. And at that point, very difficult to make sense of like why you would continue to run the air quotes sovereign blockchain because you don't get any of the stuff that you want. Like, for example, still don't have like first class like ledger hardware wallet support. We, we don't have any like access to DEXs. We don't have access to like other wallets like Phantom. Exchange support is harder because anyone that wants to integrate HT has to write the entire integration from scratch because our blockchain doesn't look like anyone else's. So you don't get any of those things and you have to continue to maintain your own infrastructure and all the stuff that comes with it and all the problems and all the issues. So I get the concerns. I think it has been a, at times, really rocky road and the community has been extraordinarily patient growing with us and dealing with the challenges of scaling a network that's growing this quickly, which I don't think has ever happened before. But you know, what we're doing here with HIP70, understanding that process, looking back and being very retrospective about what worked and what didn't work, uh, and focusing on a new architecture that solves those problems. Uh, and the chain move is just part of that. We could very well do this on our own L1. Uh, but as I said, I, I think that would be a mistake because you don't get any of the benefits of being a big part of a bigger system. And I'd also like to point out that the idea of moving to a new L1 is not new. We had the vote for HIP51 a few months ago, which proposed as its end stage moving to a new L1. And that passed with something like 90 plus percent approval. So HIP70 is almost like rounding out the final parts of HIP51, which is already the sort of the direction that we were headed in. Yeah, I do think it's maybe also helpful to talk about what some of those advantages are of being on an L1, be it Solana or really any L1 that has smart contract support, which is something that Helium doesn't at this point. And the conceptual jump that happened between Bitcoin and Ethereum is really like analogous here, where there are Helium is an incredibly high performance system for the things it's able to do. I don't think you can run proof of coverage on really any general purpose uh, system the way it's architected with the amount of data that has to run through it and that coordination has to happen. And it's pretty impressive, honestly, that like the Helium L1 does that well in its current form. But in, and I can say this is someone who I got my hotspot in 2019. I think it was like number 750 or something and setting it up. And it's it was a great experience. I've been a member of the Helium community longer than I've been a member of the Solana community or a, an employee of the Solana Foundation. But those advantages that you start to see in a system with smart contracts are things like you don't need to have a hard 10,000 stake requirement for a validator where the pooling has to happen off-chain. You can have DeFi exist on-chain, which really gives people something to do with their Helium that's not necessarily stake it or use it for data credits. You can use it to provide liquidity in a whole wide range of DeFi ecosystems that, that exist across the board here. It allows splitting of like reward payouts in a custom way. So it's not even the Nova team or Helium Foundation has to build some code so that you can do reward splitting, like Hotspotty could build that if they wanted to. All these ecosystem groups that work within the Helium space, suddenly they can write smart contracts and build things on chain, which is which is groundbreaking for this data, right? Like suddenly you can have a fully on-chain version of Pokemon Go that uses location data coming from Helium in a Web3 way, right? The intersection of like, independently verifiable and decentralized location services, let alone the data component to it. This is a really exciting place for tons of DeFi applications or just gaming and consumer-focused applications that are getting built all over the place. And the combination of a mobile platform really makes this something that like, I would be incredibly excited about and I am incredibly excited about, but 
independent of, you know, I have to, I have to acknowledge I do have some bias in this. Just the idea of Helium moving to any L1 that's going to enable it to have full composable smart contracts is something that like, I think everyone should be really excited about here because the potential there is really to transform not what is possible to be built with the Helium network, but is what is possible to be built on the Helium network. That's awesome. Thank you for all that detail. I think what I'm hearing so far is actually a lot of the questions that came in through our question form are being answered by this discussion. And given how great of a panel we have up here, I'd kind of like to let you guys riff a little bit because what we're talking about, the advantages of switching to Solana, the new architecture, all these things are the essence, the core. And I think people just need a little bit more depth. I'm going to just allow the conversation to continue. And if I see that we're going in a direction that's not where the majority of the community questions were, I'll redirect the discussion. But other than that, I'd, le- I'd love to yeah. just let it riff. Yeah, I'd love to talk just briefly about one of the... Th- this is not the first major protocol to make a transition to Solana or propose a transition to Solana from another network. So it gets into the weeds, but like Audius was a fully Ethereum-based project. And over the last year, they've migrated to being a fully Solana-based project. They did a whole token migration transfer as well. So there are tried and true paths to make this stuff work. I think that's probably a more technical conversation that's maybe better handled on Discord or in a further like HIP70 technical deep dive call, but wanted to call that out as well here. I know, Anatoly, you got to jump in a couple of minutes, but would love to hear your thoughts in general about what's going on in Solana world as well and how it relates to what we can take advantage of with the Helium ecosystem. Yeah, I think some of the things that you were talking about, like the ability for a single team to focus on something, it like re- really rings true for me because it's really tough. And we have been just heads down focusing on the chain itself. So some of the things that are really big efforts that we're undertaking is building a second validator client. So this is from a ground up re-implementation of Solana by a separate team in a different language. So using a totally different tool chain and dependency for building that different client. So the probability of an attack vector or a bug that exists in both, like a memory leak or something like this, is virtually zero. So... This is something that, imagine having to build another version of the same code. It becomes like a really big undertaking, unless you your only business is building an awesome layer one, which is where the this is what we're doing. And it's really important to do that because there's no other way to really improve reliability and, and safety of the network. The kinds of bugs that you're talking about where you're can sleep at night if we introduce this new release. Is there a bug that missed or something like that? With two separate clients implementing those features, it becomes much, much easier. But it's a massive undertaking. You literally have to double your engineering team. The cool thing about how we're doing it is we're working with an amazing team from Jump, their high-frequency trading team. And their target for performance is to demonstrate that the software can manage a 10 gigabit worth of throughput, which would be millions of transactions per second. We can demonstrate that the design is scalable to that level. Then the only thing that's keeping mainnet from achieving that is just hardware. And that's the eventuality. Like hardware will always get cheaper and faster. So eventually the validators will upgrade and get there. So this is what I'm super excited about the future of Solana and what we've been up to. Yeah, no, I think the point about focus is su- super important. Like I, I once wrote out a list of all the things that 
we do every day. And it's so long that I can barely even remember what was on it. But at least from my point of view, like the being able to like really focus on making proof of coverage great, making data transfer great, growing additional networks, I think is like what everyone in the community should hope for, right? Is that we get to be able to be maniacally focused on just that set of problems. And so to me, like a lot of the conversation is very focused on the Solana part in particular. And I get that people have their biases and there's a lot of noise in the crypto community. But I think it's important to step back and just realize that the choice of chain is not the motivation here at, at all. The motivation is to be able to make the network better. And to make the network better, we have to be able to focus as a community and as an engineering team on what is important. And that's what this is all about, right? Like this entire effort is focused on that. And so we've seen a pretty broad set of questions. Like a lot of them were answered really well in Frank's blog, which if you haven't read, strongly suggest that you read it. It's on blog.helium.com. It's called TLDR on HIP70. We've had questions like, does HNT go away? And things like that, which I think are are totally reasonable questions given how HIP70 was released, which is like a very technical document. So it's just important for everyone listening to understand that nothing really changes from a user-facing point of view, whether you're a hotspot owner or whether you're a customer of the network using it with sensors. Like that transition, like we aim to make that transition as seamless as possible. Like optimally, you just receive a new update to the Helium wallet app on your phone. And all of a sudden you're on the Solana network, not the Helium network. And you probably don't even realize or know the only kind of telltale sign would be that your public address has changed, but your same 12 or 24 word seed phrase will remain. You'll still have HNT balance there if you had it before. You'll still have mobile and IoT balance if you had it before. And so the goal here is not to fundamentally change the economics in any way, but to just move the sort of responsibility of proof of coverage, data transfer, and token matters, as I want to call them, like transactions, basically, into separate buckets. And where those buckets live, I think, is a lot less important. Like the blockchain part, you could probably do it on Ethereum. It would hurt from a transaction fee point of view, you might be able to do it on Avalanche. There's lots of other blockchains that can do it. So it's just important to think of it that way. It's not, a, it's not a Helium moving to Solana as much as Helium separating like the concerns effectively, allowing the network to scale much more efficiently. But optimally, like users don't even notice this change would be, that would be, as far as I'm concerned, the win, right? Is that your same wallets, your same tools, Explorer is still there. Like nothing has really changed except a bunch more HNT has come back into the hotspot pool because you don't have to pay 2 million HNT out to validators anymore. So as a hotspot operator, like that's how you should be thinking about it is that should be unnoticeable effectively, except that things should work better. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to think about this too, where when you're talking about what, there's been some conversation about, is this Helium giving up a form of sovereignty? And I think that's actually a really important thing to talk about and go through here, because this is like a major question where it can feel to a community like migrating from a purpose-built L1 onto a more general purpose compute platform is somehow something where you're giving up sovereignty. And the kind of the irony of this is it is a really great step for decentralization of the network too, that suddenly the core base layer consensus of Helium is not actually in the hands of developers at Nova Labs and at Helium Foundation. It's in a much larger ecosystem where there's Solana Labs building a validator client. 
there is the Fire Dancer client that is being built by one of the world's most, you know, development firms for incredibly low latency, high performance code. You have another validator client that Jito is building, right? There, there's this, like the infrastructural layer that's going to enable the folks, both the developers at Helium, the protocol, and then in the ecosystem to focus on like, I mean, man, a hardware blockchain network is like, the most ambitious thing I've ever heard anyone try to attempt, right? The first rule of a startup is don't ship any hardware. And the second is probably don't build a blockchain. And you guys set out to do both and succeeded. And that's phenomenal. But at this point, it's like, try and figure out how you can decentralize the ecosystem away from the pieces that can be done better elsewhere. And that base layer of consensus is it's painful to build. And it's honestly incredibly boring to build, right? Like no one really thanks their dentist. The work of the dentist is to do to do work that means you don't have to think about your teeth. And that really is what like the L1 transition is here. It's moving to a place where the resources of the community, the resources of the foundation are not tied up in building that base layer infrastructure. They're focusing on expanding the community and all these amazing things you can now build on top of it. The other piece to keep in mind too is if some folks are concerned about is this the right is this the right choice is this the right place to go those are incredibly valid discussions to have there is always the ability to do another move in the future if this turns out to be a disaster right whether no matter what L1 or L2 solution the community comes to as a consensus here you're not locked in there for life there there could be a path in a few years where maybe the consensus of the community is different suddenly, right? And the idea of actually there's this new framework that no one knew about three years ago that shipped and suddenly we can actually do everything we've ever wanted to do. We can do this really easily. And that's a possible future, right? And some folks are talking about it's a forever, there's no undo on something like this. And one of the great things about software engineering in a decentralized community is there is actually always the ability to steer this in a different direction if the current path doesn't make sense which is quite frankly, exactly the conversation we're having today, which is that there was an initial approach to build a purpose-built L1 for Helium Network. And now maybe it's time to, to reevaluate what that decision looks like and make a migration somewhere else. So I think that's a like philosophically, that's something to keep in mind here, which is like, this is not joining the European Union or something where there's a massive process to disentangle at some point in the future. There certainly would be because of all the advantages that come with joining a non-charted, one single global state composable ecosystem. But again, none of nothing is forever in, in software and in blockchain. And that's one of the great parts about this too. Yeah, I think another, they're just, I was looking at the discussion in the HIP70 channel on our Discord as well. One important thing that I, I think we didn't really touch on much at the start was because of the decision to build our own blockchain, which I think was the right decision at the time, by the way, I don't think that was a mistake because I, I don't think we would have gotten anywhere if we tried to do it any other way. We ended up with a very kind of novel and bespoke system in a language that isn't particularly popular. So we built the system in Erlang, we have some phenomenal engineers who were capable of doing that. Uh, the, and the upside, there's lots of upsides to using Erlang. Downside is developer community is fairly small and everything that we do is bespoke to us. And so one of the things that I'm excited about going forward is that all the blockchain side stuff is going to be in a language that more people are involved with in, in Rust and on a platform that has a significant and active developer community in Solana. So to me, that's a huge win for the community. Like basically you won't need Nova to be critically involved in lots of the stuff that 
people have asked for over the years. You mentioned one, for example, which is, is glaring, which is that if you're a hotspot operator that hosts a lot of hotspots with a lot of like partners, you ideally would have a much easier and simpler way to split rewards with the people hosting hotspots for you. People have been asking for that for like three years, and we just haven't had the bandwidth or the resources to be able to get to something like that. But now a fairly simple matter in the smart contract environment of splitting up the rewards from an NFT effectively to multiple wallets. And we don't have to do that. Anyone would be able to do that. And that's the kind of thing to, that I'm excited about is growing the ability for the community to contribute, for the developer ecosystem to contribute beyond just us. It's very slow for us to be the only entity to do it. It's not really decentralized in any proper meaning of the word in terms of the actual like development of the code base. And that's hard, right? Every project roughly has the same problem, which is that there's a singular team or entity that works on the main code. And I think this is a way for us to start to move away from that in a meaningful way. And I'm, so I'm excited about that. The other thing that I think is awesome is the composability. And that's a very ambiguous word probably to a lot of our community who are deeply involved in the crypto space. But the way I'm thinking about that is being able to attach to other stuff that makes sense. So for example, HiveMapper or Demo, who are also like physical world projects, there's now a way for HNT and those tokens to like interact with each other on chain or something like Stepin, right? Like maybe there's a way for Stepin users to be mappers in the Helium networks somehow and validate proof of coverage. Who, who knows? But the, the potential for it uh, in a way that doesn't exist today because we are very siloed in our own universe. And as I said, you that frustratingly in things like not having maddening to me that we don't have proper like ledger hardware support yet. It's not our fault. Like we've done all of the engineering work that we've needed to do, but it's slow moving in other parts of the system for approvals and security audits and everything else on the ledger side, which I completely understand. But it's again, it's just something that you get for free when you join a bigger ecosystem that has that kind of support. The same with exchange listings and like all the other stuff that, that we don't get involved with and can't touch just become easier for other people to do and be responsible for. And I think that's healthy for the ecosystem in general. I don't know, like Armin, did you want to take questions from the audience or do you have a list from people? Yeah, totally. We do have a questions list. However, I feel like the way that the discussion has gone so far has actually really covered the vast majority of the surface area there because a lot of them truly were like, I wouldn't say basic questions, but sort of variations of the same question. I think that one thing that people are really curious about, and then maybe we can get to some voice questions after getting through a few of these. What's what's the timeline on this? Or what's a realistic expectation for the order of things and how long it could all take, right? So, so you kind of have these two parts. You have the Solana side with the token migration, the, the public key migration, the wallet migration, the smart contracts, and then you have the decentralized Oracle side. What's sort of the, the order in which this will all come together? Are, are we going to spin up some Oracle, direct all hotspots to send their proof of coverage receipts and data transfer packets to the Oracles and turn off proof of coverage on the Helium layer one and then try to attempt to move to Solana? Or is it all sort of going to happen at the same time? It's roughly in parallel. So a lot of the work has already started on the Oracle side. We have what we are calling the packet router, which means like a much better name, but assume that's like the data credit Oracle. And then we have the sort of off-chain POC stuff that that I think is just called off-chain POC right now. So those are the two Oracle systems. A lot of work has already gone in there, which is figuring out how to build those systems. Like, how do you make them performance? Like, how do you deal with the myriad of different potential concerns that you have? And also improving them in a way that there's a whole bunch of improvements to POC 
that we've known we need to do or that we want to do that we can now kind of roll it. So that work is ongoing because as I said earlier, like it doesn't really matter what L1 is used for that work to, to progress. And so that's been happening already. That's going in parallel. I think it will depend on, so obviously we've got to get through the vote and see where that ends up. And then I think we can start work in earnest, ideally with a team at the foundation to start building the Solana side of the problem if it ends up being Solana. And then it's really a case of the Oracle telling the Solana smart contract what to do. And so the way you described it is exactly right. Hotspots would effectively receive a firmware update that would tell them to start sending receipts to the POC Oracle rather than to the validator group. And that would be roughly the way it starts. The same thing goes on the data side, instead of using the state channel system, which is what we have now, again, very novel, very clever, very complicated, very difficult to debug. Instead of using that system, we would now, the packet forwarder, that's the sort of the piece of software that's responsible for sending and receiving LoRa packets, would now start to send those to the data Oracle And so it should be relatively seamless. And the other side of it is having the oracles interact with the Solana smart contract side. Or if we stayed on the Helium L1, for example, it would be the same interaction there, right? Where you had those oracles reporting to the Helium chain, telling the chain what to do. If you're deeply involved in the Helium ecosystem, you'll see that the reward transactions on the Helium chain take forever to, like if you ever look at a block time graph on the current Helium L1, you'll see that whenever there's a reward transaction, there's this like gigantic spike every like 30 minutes or so. And that's because of the way the current system works. It's like it's doing all of the rewards calculation like on chain and then distributing it out to all the addresses. So instead of that, you now have the oracles doing that reward calculation, which is much, much faster because it doesn't have to go through the consensus protocol and do all that stuff. And basically just telling the L1, hey, this is the distribution of rewards that you have to do. Whether that is telling Solana or whether that is telling our L1, whether it is telling... I don't know, safe moon. That's the way the system works. So a lot of it happens in parallel. Ideally, it all lands at the same time. But if it doesn't, I think there's a way to like transition in the meantime. But personally, I would hope, assuming the vote goes through and we get started on it and everything happens, like, that we would be in a pretty good place by the end of the year. I don't know. Someone's probably wincing and com- com- complaining right now as they say that. But that's at least uh, that, the, the rough kind of timeline. Yeah, if, if you give a rough timeline, now everyone will hold you to it. That you 100% said this will 100% be done by that date. <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I've, doomed, I've doomed us already. Uh, it's, it totally does it to me every day. It's fine. I, I do also want to say the hybridization of on-chain and off-chain compute for something like POC, this is how every single Oracle in the world works, right? This is how PIF works and Chainlink works. That computation is largely done off-chain, and then the resulting values are brought on-chain, or at least that data is collated before it's brought on chain. These are systems that have an incredibly high degree of accuracy for something like volatile asset prices from multiple sources. I, for one, am not particularly concerned about the idea that uh, some of the POC logic is moving off of a compute environment in an L1 and into a system that is also still has the potential to be decentralized and auditable within that framework. So I think that's just an interesting piece to note here is that the way that Helium currently does this is a little bit of an anomaly in the industry. And this is not necessarily something that would raise any concerns in other ecosystems. And this is one of the things that I've always really enjoyed about the way Helium has been constructed, that a lot of this stuff was built in ways that don't necessarily conform to what the existing structure was within the crypto ecosystem at the time. And quite frankly, culturally, that's 
incredibly closely aligned with Helium and with, with Solana. The the idea of building something that wasn't sharded, that didn't rely on rollups or something along those lines at the time that Solana launched was also a pretty daring endeavor that has proven to be a really exciting place to grow the same way that doing this in this way was part of what allowed Helium to get to the size it did. But we like to talk about how every time you 10x a system or you increase it two orders of magnitude, a whole bunch of stuff needs to get rebuilt. And for the long-term success of any network, that doesn't change, right? If there's suddenly 12 networks of networks running on Helium, and there's now 10 times as much traffic running through the network or 100 times as much traffic running through the network, that's a pretty serious engineering lift to keep that base infrastructure running, let alone the, the consensus logic that then deploys on top of that. Yeah, I think important point, though, is that I would totally agree with what you said, but it isn't like innovation just stops at the Helium level. It just gets focused in the right place. Like today we are being forced to like innovate and blaze a trail on a lot of different things at once. One of them being a, an L1 blockchain and like how to scale it and how to do the things that we want to do. And arguably that has caused things like proof of coverage to not have as many resources as it needs to have given that it is like arguably the most significant invention or innovation or thing that we presented in, in Helium. And so really proof of coverage as an example hasn't meaningfully improved since HIP 15 or 17. I think the light hotspot stuff made it easier in, in a way, but it's still as a consumer or as a user of a hotspot, not much has changed there, right? And it's not because we don't want to, like we have a million ideas of ways that we could improve it, a lot of them coming from the community. It's just impossible to find the time or the resources to, to focus on it when you're doing so many things. So there's going to be a lot of innovation, a lot of room for really interesting solutions to be applied. They're just going to be in a different place and hopefully a more important place as it relates to Helium. I, I did just want to touch on one other thing that you mentioned, which is like price oracle. Today, Helium has its own price oracle system, right? Where there's literally physical people that have to submit a price. And that's for an example of a system that we have to build that has to continuously be maintained that kind of just goes away, right? Because there will be a price known for HNT on the Solana chain, which is what we use to convert into data credits. So we won't need like yet another system there that we had to build just because that data exists on chain and we can just access it and use it the same way that, that others use oracles on in the Solana ecosystem already. So many pieces that we had to build on our own and figure out on our own that have their own problems, that need their own support that we can delegate really into the Solana universe and just stay focused on the wireless parts. Great. So I, I want to touch on another concern that a ton of community members have brought up. And I think it's a little bit nuanced, so I'll provide a little bit of context. But essentially, people are concerned about decentralization when we move to oracles, right? So now everything is happening on chain. It's verifiable. And the argument from some is if you're taking this distributed consensus up and you're moving it from the staker's essentially being able to vote on what they think is a valid transaction to a server for proof of coverage and for data transfer specifically, that makes it not decentralized. And so a little bit of context I want to add is I think decentralization is a spectrum, right? We love to talk about it in absolutes, but there really honestly are just many levels to decentralization from the who's staking to where the servers are hosted to who's developing the software. So the way things essentially work now is that the Nova Labs team and the Nova Labs team alone develops this validator software. The validator operators, who I think have a very high level of trust with the Nova team, deploy that software kind of at their earliest convenience. Some are faster than others. 
And then every single other person in the ecosystem has to update their node software. So this is like every accounting platform, every exchange, every API provider, every time the team just wants to make a change to proof of coverage. So the end-to-end process is Nova Labs releases open source software. There are really no other contributors because of how esoteric Erlang is and the validators run it. And in the new paradigm, it will be Nova Labs <laughs> releases open source software and they run it on behalf of the Helium Foundation. What doesn't change is I've seen, I don't want to make you guys repeat yourself, so I'll just summarize. The core team is very serious about making all the code open, verifiable, so that anyone can rerun the rewards calculations and make sure that everything is correctly calculated and fairly distributed. And this data will all be made publicly accessible. This is like a base requirement from what I've heard. So in my view, the aspect of decentralization doesn't really change that much. You have the same people writing the software. It's not like we have a vibrant community of validator client authors like in Ethereum, where if some people don't like choices made in the validator client, we have another team that's ready to come in and deploy another client, or the validator operators are refusing to deploy a certain version because they don't like a certain change. I mean, that, that's already not how it is, right? It's a very one-way funnel. And in my view, this change is cutting out the middleman in a sense and just massively reducing the complexity so you don't have to have every party in the ecosystem update their node or validator every time a small iteration or change is made, which is, I mean, we've all, I think in the Helium ecosystem, been a little bit frustrated how that kind of makes things move like molasses. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, every update is fraught with like massive risk on, on our side as well, as you've seen. Like, even, you know, I remember having this like debate with someone in the community back in the day, they're like, oh, it's just a one line change. I'm like, Sure, it could be like a one character change and it still could be catastrophic. And so it, there's a lot of risk when you are updating things and the system is so monolithic. We have so many chain variables, for example, that need to like carefully interact with each other as a result of all the different upgrades and changes to proof of coverage over time. That if you don't set one correctly, then you get like this sort of catastrophic outcome. And because the system's so complicated, it's very difficult for us to test it or understand the effect of any change. And so, you know, overall, just frustrating, right? Like it, it's a poor reflection of the talent of the team in a way that, that the upgrade process is as arduous as it is. And it just comes from building a system that's so big and so intertwined. So I'm, like I said, like one of the things I'm most excited about is that major decoupling of the systems. I'm excited for like other people in the developer communities, whether they're inside Helium already or whether they're in Solana's universe to be able to start contributing in meaningful ways, even if that's just on the smart contract side, like providing like templates, for example, for like reward splitting, that's like a huge win because that's, a, as I mentioned, like a feature that people have been wanting for such a long time. So there's so much to do without even touching on the 5G stuff and all the other stuff coming. But that, that sort of separation of concerns for me is the most critical part of this hip. It's nothing to do with like the choice of L1. Like the, the, I know everyone's very focused on that, but this sort of separation of the architecture, I think, is what is most critical and will allow the network to scale and grow and be performant and reliable for the people building it and the people using it. Should we take some questions from the audience? I'm happy to get into it there if anyone has interesting and hard ones. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Before we get there, I do want to just make sure we cover one more topic. I think it's a deep topic, so I don't really want to go too deep on it, but it's. I think it's very important to a lot of people, which is this discussion around unstaking validators, right? So everyone who has staked a validator right now has put up 10K HNT per validator and committed to a five-month unstake cooldown. Essentially means that when you unstake, you have to wait five months with no rewards, and then your HNT unlocks. There have been a lot of discussions about how 
this should be handled when moving to the other chain? Should people be allowed to unstake early, maybe reduce it to three months? Should it be two weeks as additionally proposed in HIP 70? So I think there's, I think this is an area of very active discussion, but I'd love to get some brief thoughts on this topic. It is a complex one. Oh, one, one other party I forgot to mention is partial stakers in custodial staking pools. This is So th there's a lot of people who would be interested in this topic, I think, and it is an important one that we need to resolve maybe before this vote passes or at least shortly after the vote, vote passes and in, in, in another HIP, in an ad additional HIP. Yeah, so... Just to create the context, I think you, you explained it well there. Validators on the Helium network today are responsible for transaction processing and creating blocks. They get rewarded a percentage of HNT that gets created today. It's 6.85% of the HNT today going to validators for that work. It costs 10,000 HNT to stake. And then you have to run a server capable of doing the transaction processing and block creation. When you stake that 10,000 HNT, it is locked for five months. So the minute that you press unstake, you stop earning rewards, and it takes you five months to get your HNT back. That was the way the system was designed. It was passed in HIP 25. And that's basically the way the current, the status quo is today. When the migration occurs, there are obviously some questions, right? So once, assuming this vote passes and a different L1 is chosen, there will be a sort of strange period, right, where validators no longer exist on the new chain. And so the question has come up around like, what should happen to the five-month cooldown period or what should happen to the, all of the HNT which is staked, which is a substantial amount, right? It's like over a third of the supply of HNT that exists is staked in validator pools, which is an incredible stat on its own. I think there's 3,500 validators, something like that, which is a massive number for any blockchain and a great sort of show of support from the community and a reminder of how strong the community is. There's an additional wrinkle in there, which is that because of the way, again, something that I wish we could have had more time to spend on, but because of the way the validator system was written, there wasn't a way to split up the stake. So if you didn't have 10,000 HNT, there was no way for you to participate in staking on-chain, right? Like you either had 10,000 HNT exactly or you didn't. A lot of the people validating now were early HNT miners or back when the markets were different. But now it's like a substantial amount of capital to, to outlay. And so not everyone can afford to do it, but can but want to participate in the staking. So there have been a bunch of companies that started to basically solve this problem. So Helium Rising, Helium Staking, like there's a bunch of like really good companies that say, hey, if you want to stake 100 HNT, we will pull that all together from multiple people and we will stake a validator and distribute the rewards out to the individual people, like an off-chain delegated proof of stake kind of system. So that's an additional wrinkle, right? Where the individual stakers don't actually have access, they don't have the ability to like unstake because they're attached to this bigger pool. So there's been a lot of discussion about what to do with that problem, right? Like it's a complicated one. On the one hand, you could say, well, everyone knew the, the, the rules going in, but on the other hand, the rules of the game have completely changed because there's no longer an L1 blockchain. So totally see both sides or every side of the argument that we've heard. Right now, the sort of current proposal is that anyone, maybe a buy, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but anyone who's staked through the migration. So if you have a bunch of validators like I do, for example, and you just leave them alone, right? So you're staked. Once the migration occurs, you'll, that stake will get rolled over into vote escrowed HNT or VEHNT, which is something that was described in HIP 51. It gives you voting power. It gives you access to, to yield from the IoT and mobile tokens. It, it's a similar kind of staking that doesn't have a minimum, right? So if, if you're staked through the transition, that's the proposal for what would happen. 
you get different voting power and yield depending on how long you lock up your tokens for. So the minimum is six months. I think the maximum is four years, 48 months. But by default, everyone would convert into the sort of six month thing. So that's one group, right? Is the group that sort of stakes, stays staked through the transition. Doesn't really work perfectly for the pools because they have a bunch of constituents that may have different decisions that they want to make or they want, may want to get out. Uh, so one proposal that has been floating around is to reduce the cooldown period. So instead of five months, it's more like three months. So it gives the pool operators the chance to unstake before the transition and get the HNT back and distribute it out to their customers and their constituents. I think there have been variants of other ideas as well that are floating around in the HIP70 channel. Some of them are much more complicated to implement than others. But I think everyone is trying to figure out what the right thing to do here is. It feels like the three-month option has the most momentum now because it allows the staking pool providers who unfortunately like won't have a business going forward in in the L1 migration to basically get out and give all the HNT back to their constituents, which is, I think, all they really care about at this point, but definitely open to like other suggestions there. And there've been some good ones in the channel, just some of them are much more complicated than others and have more open questions. So it feels like the three-month thing, which is a proposal that happened in that discussion, feels reasonable, but still slightly uh, slightly unresolved. Just to add to that, and Amir, you got it on the money for where we are right now. The one of the things I want to point out is that this conversation is happening live. We intended to publish this um, and then iterate on it before the vote and then give people a chance to actually provide feedback and suggest changes. And ultimately, we would update the HIP and get to a place where it's like, this is what we're voting on as a community. The other thing, yes, so like right now, it does feel like the three-month cooldown reduction is what makes sense for a lot of the folks that have been communicating in the community. I think that that's a reasonable change, and I think that's a direction I want to go. I think we should also think about, we're going to be taking a snapshot at the end of this quote-unquote sovereign Helium L1, and we want to be very explicit in the hip what happened with the snapshot. If your HNT is in staked form, what does it turn into? If it is in cooldown form, what does it turn into? And then we actually want to encourage new folks to convert their HNT into vote escrow locked HNT. And we want every single individual, if you have one bone, which is the sort of units, the equivalent of the SAT for us in Helium, if you have one bone, you should be able to participate in governance. Every single member of the community should be able to participate, not this like kind of 10k limit and then be able to do that directly on chain. Yeah, just wanted to add that and expect some more updates to the hip probably today. After. Great. Looking forward to those updates. And if anyone wants to join the discussion, as mentioned, this is happening live. So the main place it's happening is in the Helium Discord, discord.gg slash Helium. Channel's called HIP70, Scaling the Helium Network. Yes, long channel name. Scroll way down or search if you know how to do that. We got a lot of discussions going on in parallel at all times. So if you're not in there, it's a very interesting place to be. All right. Love the discussion so far. I honestly think that out of the over 100 questions that were submitted, I think we covered probably 98% of them, including some of the deeper ones. So I'm really happy about that. Just want to double down on what Amir said. Don't be afraid to submit your hard questions. That being said, there have been some people who have been waiting so long in this queue. So thank you for your patience. I'm going to start inviting some of y'all up now. I have a question about the staking. Just five months, three months, one week, it all sounds pretty arbitrary. Is there a reason why five months was chosen to begin with? What happens to the ecosystem if, if everyone's allowed to unstake in a week? I can try and answer just because I think I was around for most of that decision making. It was entirely arbitrary. You're, you're right. The five month number, I think, was an even number of blocks. It was like 250,000 blocks, if I remember, was the reason it was 
proposed. But I think in general, the benefit is good in the sense that what you're looking for from your validators and your stakers is long-term commitment. Like you don't, what you wouldn't want to see, especially in markets like these, is the security of the network fluctuating <laughs> substantially as people like jump in and out based on the market, basically. And so the desire was to validate is a long-term commitment and you know it going in. And so we wanted to create the setting for that. And that's where the theory for where the specific number came from is like largely arbitrary. But from a con conceptual point of view, that's what we were going for is that this should be a long-term commitment. The security level of the network should be high so that it's difficult to, uh, and it shouldn't fluctuate wildly based on the way the market moves, which as we've seen over the years is a lot, like it moves up and down a lot. So I think that has worked well. Like even today, I think there's only a couple of hundred validators in the unstake process out of the 3000 plus that are there. So I think that has worked well. And in the case of like, how do you figure out what the right number is going forward? I think it's just a discussion among the community as it has been. Like originally it was five months, causes some problems now as a result of the migration for, especially for the pool operators that need to get out. Three months probably allows them enough time to get out before the migration is, is complete. And that's roughly the discussion that's going on. Like having a very small number, I think can reintroduce some of the risk that I'm talking about, where you have the security sort of fluctuating up and down during the transition period. And it's, I just think some risk there if it's a very short period of time. But that's roughly the thinking around all of this. But the numbers are pretty arbitrary for sure. That, that makes perfectly good sense. Thank you. Thanks, Will. And just to add some statistics, I was doing some digging this morning. Fewer than 2% of validators have unstaked in the past seven days since we've been discussing this hip. So love the commitment from the validator staking community there. All right, Peter, you're up. Hello from Germany. Thanks for having me. I have a question about the snapshot. When will you take it, the um, mobile and the IoT token for the Genesis period? Yep. Yeah. So for the, so just for context for other folks who don't know that that's for intricacies of HIP-52. So HIP-52 proposes that at the time that the token, the new IoT token is launched, a snapshot's taken of all hotspot owners, uh, validators who are in good standing, uh, deeply described in, in, in HIP-52, and that's taken at the time of the launch of the token. And so no, it hasn't been taken. It's based on the size of the network at the time of the IoT token launch. On the day when you start, uh, when you launch the IoT token, you will make the snapshot not before. Did I that, read that's, you correctly? Yeah. yeah, that's the way that the HIP is written. So if, yeah, if we wanted to make any changes to that, we would have to go through a governance process for that. I'll just tack on at the end there. Do, do we expect IoT to launch before the chain switch? Or are we going to have to see a version of the programmatic treasury implemented on our current chain? Or is that going to wait till Solana? That's a good question. It's because these things are happening in parallel, the Oracle work, the Solana work that needs to start happening. Since all that sort of has to happen in parallel, it really just comes down to like when we get to implementation details. Yesterday, we actually had a conversation within the core devs to decide, okay, what are our contingencies? What if Solana takes longer than it uh, that it does? What if the HIP doesn't pass? What what are all the different contingencies? We have a couple of ideas around that, where we could launch the IoT token on the existing Sovereign L1. But I, given where we are right now with this vote and the potential of it passing, and it does in a couple of weeks, I don't want to go down that path yet. I'd rather just focus our efforts on moving forward. Uh, but subject to change, if, if it makes sense for us to ship that earlier. Great. Peter, thanks again for those questions. We've got Bill and Joao on the stage. Bill, why don't you go first? Yeah, BFG Neil answered this. Uh, I asked it in a in the Twitter thread here. But is anyone concerned with how quickly the redenomination vote was overturned after just a few months of it being approved? 
and couldn't this happen with the with hip 70 and possibly delaying taking off track the l1 change he did respond and said the redenomination hip was overturned because iot mobile wasn't defined at the time small token buys of a bigger supply coin happened with iot mobile there was no point in doing it twice so it went to vote and it got repealed neil's answers is pretty spot on i think maybe the hidden part there is that the actual implementation of that redenomination was going to be a pretty heavy load for a lot of the developer community that was building on top of the helium chains, all your tax accounting tools, your host splitting tools, all of that stuff. Given the heavy part of that that was covered by the other HIPs that introduced those smaller tokens, that's where the intent from the real the repeal came from. Yep. It's not like there was a flip-flop, like there was this radical thing where the community is going in, in, in random directions. It was more of, there was a better, more nuanced solution presented. And then people saw that, okay, this is actually a better way to do it. Gotcha. Thank you guys. Love what you're doing. Thanks, Bill. Okay, though. Oh, go ahead. Also, like, this is how community governance works. It's always messy. <laughs> it's If you think democracy is tough, try DAOs. And that flexibility is a feature, not a bug, too. So just to call that out, that like one of the really great parts about this is that that kind of proves if this thing passes and something changes that the community suddenly feels like that we have to hit the brakes on this, or at least we have to go through a reevaluation period. So what, this is what governance is for. This is why we're all here. Yeah, I think it's important yeah, point. because we don't want to look, we don't want to over legislate everything here. Otherwise, we suddenly turn into U.S. Congress and not to get too political, but things don't get done. So we see that with the idea of mining IoT and mobile and that a lot of the motivation of redenomination was around the unit bias, the, the fact that's solved through the new tokens being launched, it just seemed like it wasn't, it's not worth doing that parallel work. So if we see ways to create efficiency, that's when we can try to accelerate things through governance, arbitrate there a little bit. Yeah, and there have been some pretty contentious votes in the past. It's definitely not like some people are making it seem where, you know, the whales just decide everything. I think, and actually, in large part, the quote-unquote whales stay out of the votes. HIP 51, which is the predecessor to HIP 70, passed with 97%, with about 80% by individual wallet weight. So, and we have had a couple of very close votes. I really like governance, not that it can't always be improved, which it always can. So thank you, Bill, for that. Uh, Joao, you're up next. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hi there. I'm from Portugal. Congrats for the developers of the Helium. But I have a question about why we need the HIP70. For me, as a miner, I like the idea of decentralized things and the governance is from everybody. And the main thing that HIP70 brings to the users is to try to achieve more scalability and security. And I don't, I don't understand why you are choosing Solana, because Solana have seven or eight times altered. And I need the, why you choose Solana to, to be our layer one? I can try and jump in here, and apologies for repeating an answer that I've given somewhere else before. But part of the architecture that we are devising here is to separate the flow of data, right? Hotspots, for example, and their interaction with each other for proof of coverage and their interaction with sensors for data transfer become detached from the blockchain itself. So imagine the worst case, right? Imagine it's on the current L1 on our blockchain and it's like down for a day, which is, has happened before. In this model, things would continue to work 
relatively seamlessly. What you would lose is the ability to see token balances update. You wouldn't be able to transfer tokens for that time. So there's definitely some impact, but data would still travel, right? So sensors that are sending data to the internet, it would still get there. That packet would still be accounted for. Like the Oracle will still remember that it delivered that packet and that someone owes someone tokens for that. And the same with proof of coverage, right? Like those challenges will still happen. The receipts will still land at the Oracle. The Oracle will still remember who is supposed to be rewarded what. And as soon as the L1 or the blockchain comes back, it will update. And so it's like a store and forward or a delayed system there. And I've used this example, but Ethereum is a good example of a blockchain that really ostensibly like never goes down, like has very good uptime. But what happens is that the fees become so high that the Oracles would like in in busy periods when they're like large NFT mints or whatever, the fees become so high that as far as the oracles are concerned, the chain is basically down, right? Because it would have to have some logic that says, hey, if gas fees are above this threshold, then you have to wait as if the chain were down, basically. You have to store that information, what I just described, and retry and keep retrying until the gas fees have come down to a level that makes it okay. You can't spend $300 for a proof of coverage transaction or something. So that's the way of thinking about it is that the L1 being down becomes less important in this architecture. I'll let maybe Anatoly like speak about uptime on Solana and like some of the improvements that are being made there because I think a lot has changed over the last two or three months as I've been watching it. But just from the Helium side, like architecturally, like that's how the system works. But in the perspective of the client, if blockchain is down, they don't have so much trust in the blockchain. If the blockchain goes down, it's bad, for sure. I just wanted to point out that, that the yeah. network continues to function. So the trust in a layer one doesn't come from it being up or down. It comes from the number of copies that the thing maintains. Because the way that you destroy Bitcoin is you literally wipe out 12,000 computers that hold the Bitcoin ledger, and Bitcoin is gone. It doesn't matter how much hash bar is securing it. It doesn't matter if there's a block 10 minutes from them. But if the ledger is gone, the thing is destroyed. Solana is the third largest network by number of nodes that's supporting it. It's at 3,400. Ethereum's roughly at five, 6,000 nodes. If you go to nodewatch.io, that also includes ETH2 nodes. And Bitcoin is the largest at 12,000. So the amount of decentralization and therefore security that Solana offers is extremely high. It's not an order of magnitude lower than Ethereum, like most other networks. You look at something like Near, or which has 100 validators, or any Tendermint chain is about 100 to 200. That's definitely an order of magnitude difference. But we're also able to do that while providing very high amounts of bandwidth. If you go to realtps.net, it shows that Solana right now is handling four, 460 transactions per second from applications alone. And that's more than all the other networks combined, including Binance Smart Chain and Polygon and Ethereum and Phantom and whatever else. And obviously, our biggest challenge has been reliability and the kinds of solutions that folks have built for reliability using mempools and expensive gas auctions have led to what you see on Ethereum, which is these very highly spiking gas fees that for a user like the Helium Oracle, the network is effectively down. If they have to wait for gas prices to come down, it's unavailable. But Solana has faced those same challenges from the other side as we had NFT mints 
because it's free to propose a transaction. We've seen folks propose, like, initially it was like 400,000 requests per second, then it went to 4 million, then it went to 10 to 20 million at 100 gigabits worth of traffic. And those have been like really tough challenges, but they're engineering challenges. So a lot of the stuff got fixed in 1.10 and 111 even has more improvements. And folks have written about our solution to this problem, which is QoS for stake-weighted nodes and quick to limit the amount of traffic that anyone can send and localized fee markets. So when there is contention, that fees only spike for that one single thing. And that this is really a unique difference between Solana and every other chain that's live right now is when you have a single application, a single NFT mint, a single market that has a lot of demand, the fees for that market may go up because when you have a thousand people that all want to be first to, to take that NFT or to take that trade, somebody has to go first. So there will be contention. But that contention doesn't impact anyone else. This is really unique to Solana and innovation. And you've seen this. It's already live. You can see on chain that fees on Solana have been still consistently low, despite fee prioritization being there. And about 8 to 9% of the prioritized transactions occur on Solana with small, small fee bumps. But I suspect Helium will never need to bump their fees. Yeah, some interesting stats we compiled on how just how cheap the network is to use. <clears throat> it would take about 300 soul to fill the wallets of every current Helium account after the migration to do 100 transactions each. So that's, that's insane. Yeah, the real big kind of long-term stability improvement that Solana is undertaking and the only other chains that have done so are Ethereum and Bitcoin is building a second validator client. This is a second implementation built by an amazing team out of jump. So from scratch, they're building a separate version of Solana against a common spec written in a different language by different engineers. And the probability of a bug existing in both of those clients, like a memory leak that brought down Solana in one of those congestion events, should be virtually zero. So we should see like real fault tolerance across the network, not just from a hardware perspective, and networking perspective, but also from implementation. And that's really, I think, there's no other, there's literally only Ethereum is the only other smart contract platform that can provide that. Yeah, awesome. and that was a pretty major initiative that honestly took almost a year to, to fully get scoped out here. It's a pretty major undertaking for not only its ability to create, as Anatoly was talking about, more resiliency across the network and greater ledger survivability in the case of a really extreme situation. But different clients, you see this on Ethereum, they're slightly better at slightly different types of things. And it gives developers and operators on the network greater optionality in thinking, what is the right thing for me to run on? Or validators can actually just run both clients if they want to and have a fallback option in case something goes wrong with one of the clients as well. Awesome. Yeah, I think that those are good answers. We've definitely touched, I think this is twice, we've circled around in the same space about Solana stability. So definitely lots of stuff coming up. Also a great resource is solana.com slash upgrades. If you want to learn exactly about the upgrades that are happening to stabilize the chain. And so I want to get to the as many more questions as we can. I'm going to invite some more people up to the stage who've been waiting very patiently. All right, Kang, you're up. 
I work with a number of uh, small wireless ISPs when it comes to the Helium implementation. And one of the things that we've seen, and we've seen like a lack of implementation from the actual individual distributors in this area. And we were wondering, is there going to be a push for like remote management diagnostic tools, especially when it comes to devices that are on the Helium network? Because for a lot of those, for the majority of people, they're sitting in homes you know, like in the windowsill, but for us, they're sitting on top of buildings and things like that, where getting physical access to the location is an ordeal. So we were wondering, is there going to be more of a push on the software side for remote management of these devices, especially when the manufacturers are kind of lacking in that area? Definitely outside the scope of HIP70, I think, and outside the scope of us, quite honestly, on the manufacturers to some degree, but simplifying what the hotspots do makes it easier for the manufacturers to do that kind of stuff. Like up until very recently, and still some of the manufacturers today, they have to run what I'll call like the big Erlang client, right? Like the miner actually has to run on the hotspot and it's big and it's complicated and it uses a bunch of resources. And I think them having to manage that, I think, is a decent size lift for them. And so the goal with HIP70, really the goal with the light hotspot transition that's not been as good as it should have been, was to get rid of the big Erlang miner, get down to this very simple client written in Rust, which is called Gateway RS. And this HIP70 will just take that even further, and it'll become even simpler. It will be very little Helium-specific stuff going on there. It's really mostly about key management, talking to the Oracle server, like beaconing on a timer, like that kind of thing. But it will be very straightforward compared to what's happening today. So my hope would be that manufacturers can take advantage of that simplicity to like now spend their time on building things like that, like what you're asking for, rather than managing the big complicated software package that they have to deal with today. All right. Thank you. Sorry about being off topic on that a bit. No, well, good. That's a good. It's a good question. I know it's it's come up a bunch. Yeah, it's an important one. I, and I also think a HIP70 answer to that is ideally in this new architecture, your hotspots performance will be more reliable. And so you won't even necessarily need to do as many remote diagnostics. Because I know a lot of the reason that people are concerned with remote diagnostics is they have not seen their hotspot beacon in two or three days. Unfortunately, we just don't have that granularity of interaction with hotspots right now. Under the new architecture, they'll beacon once per hour. So ideally, you could just look at the data from the POC Oracle to see whether your hotspot is online or not. Yeah, I mean, it literally will just be on its own timer, like using cron or something, like just ch checking, is it an hour? Okay, I should beacon now. And the Oracle will be responsible for kind of rate limiting, right? So if someone modified their hotspot to beacon every five minutes or something like that, then the Oracle server would just be rejecting those, those beacons. So it will be a very simple system compared to what it is today, where you've got this complicated back and forth with validators. And before that was even more complicated. So hopefully the simplicity like makes it much more easy to understand what's going on, to debug it when something's amiss, and potentially for manufacturers to build better like remote diagnostic tools because the, the system is so much simpler. But it should be pretty obvious whether it's working or not now, and you shouldn't really have to do a whole lot. Alrighty, Kang, thanks again. And RC, you're up next. Hey, guys. Thank you for Hello. your time and for everything you're doing. I have some questions regarding uh, Volt Escrow HMT, basically. The confusion is regarding the staking period, six months versus four years. That have an implication only on the vote power or also on the yield that you're going to get. And the second question, it's the same regarding the vote escrow HNT. 
we're going to get paid in HNT or on the sub DAO that we choose to select when we're going to. Thank you. I could probably jump in here a little bit. One thing I will say is maybe it might be worth us, and I'm kind of looking at Scott, Joey, and Armand maybe to we might have a good like dedicated time for vote escrow HNT since that was part of HIP 51. But like roughly speaking, it's you know the concept of vote escrow tokens or something that was invented in the curve compound side of of blockchains on the Ethereum network. It does exist a little bit on the Solana side as well, and there's some support for it. The longer you stake, the more vote escrow tokens that you get. These are essentially just coupons for the amount of time that you've locked up your HNT. And and then you can assign that vote escrow HNT to any of the subdows. And, and you do earn. So each of the subdows, you get to decide, here's how much of our tokens that you're, you're, you'll get for being part of that, that, that staking pool. The concept and why this is like even important is that each of the subdows sort of have to compete for their HNT earnings, and so they want to incentivize people to stake with them. Maybe I missed this, but did you answer specifically whether the scaling affects the yield? Oh yeah. So the more the longer time that you lock your HNT, the more vote escrow HNT you have. Right, you can apply even more vote escrow agency. That means you can vote more. Your votes have greater weight when you're voting on governance, and it has greater weight into the subdows themselves that you're you're assigning to. Okay, so the answer is yes. Basically, someone who has a hundred x because they locked up the maximum is going to have a lot more EHNT, and thus is going to have proportionally mm-hmm. more essentially stake in that subdow. That's right. And you're gonna right. earn more more HNT, or you're just gonna have your voting power greater. So the way that it's defined in HIP 51, 52, and 53, or as 51 was creating this concept of multiple subdows, 52 is the IoT subdow, 53 is the mobile subdow, is that you earn the subdow token. That's right. Staking will not earn you HNT anymore. All righty. Let's get a couple more people up here. Thank you, RC, for the questions. I was actually curious about those myself. I forgot to ask. So thanks for that. One Guay and Dimitri inviting you up now. Hi, everyone. Uh, I just want to get a better perspective on this transition to Solana. I'm very much into the topic. It seems like the markets didn't receive it so well. And I just want to see, understand what's your perspective regarding this and uh, what are your thoughts? What are the drivers of this uh, this move? And also understand if whether there's any different perception between the impact on the routers for LongFi and the ones for, for 5G. And also, if I may ask, when does 5G come to Europe? Yeah, I'll take a shot at some of it. I am staying far away from any market or price conversations. It's a good point on the router part for IoT. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that the router is the, the server side of the sensor communication. So when a sensor sends some data, it goes from a hotspot to what today we call a router. One of It's again another area where we have been expending a significant amount of development resources is like building the router. In the LoRaWAN ecosystem, so LoRaWAN is the network protocol that sensors use on the IoT network. There are many what they call LoRaWAN network servers, LNSs. They are the equivalent of our router. Like They're the server end of the sensor communication. What they don't know how to do is talk to a blockchain or tally things like data credits and do all that stuff. So in the HIP70 design, like what we decided to do was we decided to say, look, it, it, there are already a lot of LNSs on the market. Nearly all of them are more fully featured than our router because the, the LoRaWAN protocol is fairly big. There's a million different you know, 
parts of the protocol and options and stuff that we haven't fully implemented yet. So what we should try and do is instead of having a proprietary router that, again, we have to build and maintain and deal with, let's build like a layer, which is basically what the data oracle is that is responsible for kind of counting packets and tallying like data credit payments. And then on the other side of the Oracle is compatible with any existing LoRaWAN network server. So if you wanted to use Chirp stack or AWS or the things stack or like any of the other really good LoRaWAN network servers that are out there, they should be compatible because the Oracle is basically speaking their language. Like as far as the LoRaWAN network server is concerned, it is just talking to a regular LoRa gateway. It doesn't need to know anything about data credits. It doesn't need to know about Oracle. It doesn't know anything, right? Like as far as it's concerned, I'm talking to a LoRa gateway and the LoRa gateway is sending me a packet and that's all it is concerned with. And so that that is a major like architectural shift for us, which I think is a really good one because A, we don't have to spend development resources on something that is again, largely commoditized. B, it's much more resilient that, that way because there will be more potential like LNS options on the other end, like consumers and users can use whatever they want on the other side. Uh, and thirdly, we get to plug into a bigger ecosystem, right? So there are large commercial players that we are partnered with like Senate and Actility and others that are large network operators that have their own LNSs. And now they will be able to like, plug directly into Helium without having to do some sort of convoluted roaming structure or like some in, some sort of middleman kind of arrangement. So th those are all huge positives because they should start to help grow the demand side using the same kind of logic as the move to Solano, which is that you get to be fully part of this bigger ecosystem rather than just being partially part of it. So even though we have our own sort of LoRaWAN compatible router, it's very different from everyone else's LNS. It doesn't really, isn't perfectly compatible. So that's not to derail too deeply into the LoRaWAN stuff. That's a major like architectural change. Again, frees up a massive amount of resources for us because we spend an incredible amount of time building and debugging the router. And that becomes a much simpler piece of architecture with the sort of packet router or what we're calling the data oracle in, in HIP70. So I just wanted to focus on that part of the question. I'm definitely not going to talk about markets or price, but maybe Armin can. I'll actually just sort of tack on to <laughs> the, the, the bus, usage right? thing. I'll, I'm going to head you off, Armin. I was talking with Dahl and he's coined this term of like accessibility equals usage. So the more like touch points that we can have for LoRaWAN, the better. And then I think one thing that's maybe just getting overlooked, like it's old hat to everyone on like this panel, is that our Birdman equilibrium, like data usage is key to the health of the Helium network. Why are we pushing for all of this usage? And anytime somebody buys data credit, that's burning HNT. So it's baked into the financial model, if you will, of how Helium token works. Yeah. And something I've gone deep with the router team actually, as of now, is just that, look, there, there are a lot more packets going through the network than are actually being accounted for on chain. The state channel architecture that is currently on chain just can't keep up with accounting for all the traffic on chain. And it's hard to say exactly what the delta is between what's reported on chain and what is actually flowing. I think maybe only the router team or maybe even the hotspot manufacturers could answer that directly. But it's clear that it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. And that, that's something I'm really looking forward to being fixed because ideally the way that data on the network should look, it is a slow graph up into the right as more devices come online with how IoT sensors are deployed in the real world. You wouldn't expect data usage to go up and down on a day-to-day -day basis as you see it doing right now. So really looking forward to getting some more accurate accounting of device traffic. Okay, thank you for your answers. All right, we've got one speaker left and you're already on stage. So one Gui, go for it. 
Hey guys, I just want to make a suggestion, a quick one. With all the talk about Solana and people going, why are we switching to Solana? I was wondering if you guys could beef up your little articles where you put up like, hey, why Solana? Like, I just took a quick look and currently you guys talk about, here's one, two, three reasons why we choose Solana. But I wonder if it would be more helpful for the community at whole if you put a little table, almost like your logic. Say, hey, here's what we're looking at, fees. Here's what we're looking at, decentralization, security, blah, blah. And then here are the main players, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, Avalanche, whatever it is. And then you say, okay, based on all these considerations, our suggestion is Solana based on these. It might be a lot easier to point a bunch of people to that and say, here's our logic. Here's our thoughts. If you have any more questions, we can discuss so that the information is just easier to see, your logic's easier to see, and you don't have to explain yourself over and over again. And it'll also facilitate easier discussions. That's my opinion and my suggestion. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great call. I think we basically take Mir's rundown of that from the earlier part of the call and beef it up with a little bit more content. We probably hit that pretty squarely. Okay, yeah. cool. Thanks. And Abai, also, you've written up a couple things that I think they're pinned in the HIP70 channel on Discord. It's not exactly a table, but it's like high-level bullet points of why this decision was made. Yeah, because a lot of the questions people are like, why not this other L1? Why not whatever? So it's like the question keeps coming out over and over again. And I feel like if you guys laid out some of your thoughts, it's like some of the things you guys mentioned, right? Oh, yeah, security is this thing. And here are the main players. And you can, I think, let people know why it let, led you down this path rather than some nefarious reason why you chose Solana instead. Yeah, I think it's fair feedback. And some, uh, as Armand said, I I did do a breakdown inside of the in the Discord channel where a lot of our community is. But of course, we got to reach the community where they are, right? There's folks here on Twitter. That's why we're doing a Twitter space. And there's folks that only read blogs. We have a newsletter that, that comes out. And so there's folks that, that only read that. But I think there's a, that's fair feedback. Thank you. Yeah. And I think on the topic of reaching people where they are, I think a lot of the dissonance sort of comes from the fact that people just have not heard from the core team because they just haven't been tuning into whatever's going on. And so I think this is a concerted community-wide effort, this talk included, to reach out to as many people as possible, publish as many blogs as possible, tweets, spaces, Discord, town halls. I think there's a tipping point you reach where the sort of opinions of the core team are, are disseminated into the community, and then we could all answer each other's questions. But I don't think we're quite there yet. So that's why I'm really glad so many people have been tuning in today. And on that topic, Abai, I could increase the distribution on Twitter a little bit by screenshotting and tweeting what you wrote if you think that's ready. Otherwise, we could also wait for something more. Go for it. It's already out there. Cool. So I'll do that for anyone who wants to check my page shortly after we end this space. And yeah, I guess I just want to open up the floor before we wrap up here to anyone on this stage who has some final thoughts. One thing that might be good, Joey, could you like kind of walk through what the next steps are? Yeah, currently the vote is slated to come up on Monday. I threw a tweet in the thread with the link to that where that will happen. So definitely stay on the lookout there. We will have some more content coming out on our blog that's going to describe like further how some of the data oracles work, things like that. As we've touched on a couple of times in this call, like the story is not over. We're going to keep trying to do the best we can to help folks understand what we're looking at and also just hearing from the community for areas where like we might make changes to the proposal based on a better understanding as people are 
surfacing things in the validator channel and the hip 70 channel in discord definitely the core of the conversation is happening there so if this is something that's important to you i encourage you to take a look helium.gg slash discord wait sorry if only yeah (laughs) one day decentralize the chats give a follow to our channels and that's where we're going to be doing the majority of hosting just so if blog posts are coming up it always gets posted on twitter it gets posted on discord we've got email newsletters all sorts of stuff there yeah and seriously follow everybody up here because i think we have really an all-star team of the people who are in the weeds actually interacting with the community and making both of these projects happen so helium and solana so every single person up here including the just the helium account is definitely worth following also, when it comes to the vote, I don't know how publicly that this has been like made known, but the new Helium Wallet app has a pretty awesome built-in voting feature. So you don't even need to go to heliumvote.com or helium.vote, same website. You don't even need to go there. So when the vote starts, you can just go to the voting section in your wallet and you can vote right there from within the wallet. Very cool, very underrated feature. And it also works with the Alleger Nano if you have one of those, the ones with the Bluetooth connections. Yes, exactly. Everyone, super cool. Bring your validators to the vote. I really hope you all are, are storing your validator keys on a ledger. Alrighty. Thanks so much to everybody who showed up. This has been an awesome discussion. Thanks so much for doing this and moderating all this. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so yep. much. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Austin and Anatoly as well from the Solana team for joining in. Anytime. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for Cheers. listening in. We love it. Thank you. Great. Take care, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the hotspot. If you love our content, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to maximize your impact, leave your honest review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us reach more listeners and educate them about the Helium Network.